Hi there, Friend Request listener. Um, This is Star. We recorded the show you're about to hear last week, and since then, you might say things have gotten a little real. So we're going to be taking a little break from recording next week, and it just doesn't seem right to be publishing these kind of lighthearted tech conversations in this moment in history when so many people are fighting for their own liberation. We will be back, but I'm not going to say exactly when because it's just a little bit more dramatic that way. So stay safe and see you soon. Bye. So the reason that we're just sort of blathering is that we don't actually have a topic for today. We all just showed up. (laughs) (laughs) We just showed up. Just rolled out of bed and here we are. So did those guys really name their app after a meme? Huh? Buckle up, fellow kids. It's time for Founder Quest. As I was getting ready this morning and, and reading Twitter and just like, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, something, something that's come up lately is, uh, and Justin Jackson has talked about this, and there's a couple other people who have talked about this, like on Twitter this morning, it was being talked about, but that's the idea of staying in your lane. Like, you know, if you're a technologist and typically like your podcast is all about business or whatever, like I'm just talking about us, then you should stay in your lane and not talk about current events, whatever. Like people said that to Justin Jackson as he's been talking about like equity and the environment and some of the things that, that are concerns to him and things that he likes to think about and talk about. So I was thinking about that this morning and I was like, well, you know, we could talk about current events on our podcast. There's no reason why we couldn't. And then I thought, well, except that, you know what, maybe this is just a nice break for people that just have too much <laughs> news in their lives and they can just, they can turn to FounderQuest, not reassured that they won't have to deal with all the garbage that's going on. We're oh, talking yeah. about happy things here. <laughs> We're just in, this is the yeah. escape. Like, I think we're probably not taking an official stance on the staying in your lane thing. I'm no. like, I, I don't really, honestly, like, this is kind of my break and I don't want to like have arguments during it. So <laughs> like, I don't really want to debate serious topics right now <laughs> because everything is just on fire. Yeah. I guess that's our way of saying that, like, even though like this is, it seems to be like the worst possible timeline. I mean. I read this morning that the monkeys stole the coronavirus samples from the mm. lab and are running wild with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds Which legit. Which is a plot of a Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah, yeah. If, like, if you haven't seen, what is it, 12 Monkeys, there you go. But oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, it is. So, I don't know. I guess it's to say, like, we're all sort of affected by it, but we're not, like... I don't know. Like, there's... I see, as much as I we see want some to people, be. And it's just... People are just, like, plowing ahead with, like... React is like, here's my hot take on React right now. It's like, nobody really wants to hear that right now, but <laughs> maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's hard. Well, I've been uh, blowing up our Twitter channel with hot takes lately. Yeah. Yeah. Just all about oh, the yeah. anti-React this week. <laughs> the anti- no, not really like hot takes, anti-pope? but yeah. Oh yeah. You mean my blog, the blog thing? Yeah. The blog thing. That's yeah. pretty cool. So if, uh, I don't know if you caught it star, but what I've, I've been like kind of just working on my blog a little bit playing around with things lately like i i use jekyll so i uh but i hadn't updated it in a long time so i like migrated my assets and stuff to webpack and did some stuff to kind of modernize a little bit i decided i didn't want to go too far with the modernization and kind of see how far i could get like because like a lot of people are using like their blogs like rebuilding their blogs in jamstack right now to kind of play with like Gatsby or Next.js or, you know, some of these, these newer front end frameworks. And, um, so I thought it would be fun to do kind of the opposite, like see how far I, how close I could get to like the performance that you see with one of these more 
modern frameworks with just like old school technology. So I'm using just Jekyll and Turbolinks. And I got this cool prefetch script that um, will do like prefetching of links if you ho- hover over them uh, with your mouse for like 400 milliseconds or whatever, um, which kind of like speeds oh, cool. up. So really, like, it, it kind of like turns it into like it feels like a single page app, but it's just, you know, it's just web page, uh, just a web page. Oh, that's really cool. I actually like fun fact, like we had that at Honey Badger before we moved to Move to Jekyll. We had a little prefetch thing. Yeah, and um, I'm actually I've been planning on like or not Jekyll. I meant TurboLinks before we Turbo moved Links. to TurboLinks. For the we had app. like the yeah. the PJAX setup with the, yeah. I remember that it was like a jQuery prefetch plugin or something. Yeah, I no, yeah. I I wrote it. Did it you was, write it? it okay, was this, it was it was Stars prefetch <laughs> yeah. blue plate special. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that was, was cool. I eventually disabled it because it was really kind of hard to get right. Like it kind yeah. of. Like I really got tricky after a while and I was being too tricky and it turns out that the world doesn't really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it hasn't been officially added to TurboLinks. There's, I was, when I was like digging through trying to figure out how to do it, which is what led me to this, like basically a gist that someone made, but there's a bunch of issues on like the Turbo, TurboLinks GitHub repo talking about it and it's not like that it will never get added, but I'm assuming it's, it's a difficult thing to implement or something like that for everyone. Yeah. For, I, I don't know what the, the issues were for a blog. It seems like it would be pretty straightforward though. Cause it's just yeah. like web pages. Yeah. It's working pretty well on mine. Yeah. It's, it's fun. So I, yeah, I've been meaning to like move that stack over to our blog too. Like eventually I'll apply the same optimize optimizations to honey badger. The Honey Badger oh, website. Cool. So we don't currently use Jekyll. Are you talking about moving it to Jekyll as well, or just no, the, um... no, just the just like the front end. I mean, like it's it's simple, just to like install TurboLinks and maybe some prefetching on things. I mean, we could just we could imp- and then like do some optimizations. Have you uh, looked at Purge CSS at all? It's no, a, I haven't, but I really like the name. So tell me what that is. Well, it does what it says. It basically it removes. So it analyzes once you build. If, if you have your HTML built already, or in the case of Jekyll, if you're like generating it, so you generate your HTML, build your HTML and your assets, like your CSS and stuff, and then it analyzes all of your CSS usage, and then it purges the CSS that you're not using. So imagine if you're using like Tailwind or Bootstrap or something, and you're importing like the entire framework, right? Well, you're not necessarily using a lot of that framework. So you're, you're having to download, like everyone's downloading a bunch of useless CSS, basically. So this removes the unwanted stuff. Is this something that, that is like in Webpack? How does it do that? I think it's a third par- it's a third party project, but they have a Webpack plugin. So okay, so it just it's, plugs it's in. back in code though. Yeah, I, I thought for a second that because it's like because it has CSS in the name, and a lot of times that means it's like a CSS package. Or oh whatever. yeah, no, um, like Bootstrap. Yeah, this is, so like, this is like a is build tool. Like, what have they added to CSS <laughs> since I last yeah. um, boned up on it? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a build. It's a build tool. And for like disclaimer, like I'm I'm new, like I haven't I'm just starting to play with this. So if I like butchered the description or something, I'm sorry. But um as far as I know, that's that's what it does. And it's it's pretty cool. Like it it reduced I forget like my CSS wasn't like the bundle wasn't huge to begin with, but it I think it reduced it from like six or seven K to four, like three to four. Um so if you like apply that if you're if you are importing like something like a large CSS framework, I imagine that's a big savings. I have to ask, like, how does it know which CSS tags are being used and which ones aren't? Like, yeah. does it have to be used with like a static site generator and it just like goes through all the generated pages or? Well, I mean, I think, it? I don't know. 
like for sure how it works on the back end um, or how it's implemented. But it's, from what I can tell, it actually, like, I think it actually needs to have your HTML, like wherever it is. Um, so I think oh, okay. it, it could technically like analyze your, your views, you know, like something, if you have like a source, your source HTML or templates or something like it could probably, I think it can work off of that. But what I'm doing, because uh, Jekyll, I don't like it's generating all of the HTML from Markdown. I just pointed it at the uh, like the site, like the generate directory where the destination directory. And so then it just analyzes the entire build after like after the Webpack and Jekyll build, like do their thing. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it just works from the like the production build. I don't know. It seems to work. I mean, it seems to work. Everything looks like it did before adding it and the bundle is a lot smaller. So I got introduced to that this week as well. I started playing with Tailwind for the first time, like in okay. depth. Yeah, they and use, do they use yeah. Bridge? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's part of the Would default. you mind giving a little overview of Tailwind? So Tailwind is a pretty neat CSS framework. It takes a, a different approach to say something like Bootstrap, where Bootstrap would say, give you different classes like card or table or things that apply a bunch of styles to give you a certain look. The tailwind is, I guess, one way you could say it is a bit lower level in that uh, you define those kinds of looks that you want on the actual elements themselves. So instead of a card class, you could say, oh, I want this to be rounded. And so there's like a you know, rounded kind of class. And, uh, mm -hmm. and there's a whole bunch of selectors, as you might imagine, because of all the things that you can do, like, you know, text center and things like that. Well, you know, I've been using Bootstrap for like ever, and it's, it's nice to... Tailwind is kind of a breath of fresh air because as a developer, like I'm not hip to all the design stuff all the time. And, and like, I was always just digging into the bootstrap, you know, reference like, Oh, what was that card thing again? Do I have to have a card title and a card body? And I just never memorized all those, you know, special class names I was supposed to use and mm -hmm. Tailwind, like, I don't have to remember stuff. It's like, Oh, do I want margin? Okay. It's MY dash two. And now I get two, you know, two elements of spacing in the Y direction. Like that's just easier for me to remember so I can do auto oh, index right. and things like that. And it's great. There's kind of two ways of viewing sort of a CSS framework, which one is like to do components and stuff, which is what it's kind of what Bootstrap does. And the other is to do more of a, a, a utility type framework, which is what Tailwind mm -hmm. does. Right. Like I personally haven't used Tailwind, but I've used the utility approach just in my own, with my own sort of cobbled together, like utility stuff. And I actually kind of really like that. Like that's how the well, last time I rebuilt the like our sales site, like that's how I did it. And I really, I really enjoyed doing it that way just because it's, I don't know, it's like you can read the HTML and tell what it does as opposed to, yeah. um, it's like, okay, I know this has some, it's, this has the, the, has a class of like new hero five. It's like, what the hell does that mean? Okay. Now mm -hmm. I've got to like go search all the CSS files for that. Right. And, you know, see what, in, like it's, it's impossible. The only way to tell what style is actually going to be applied to that thing, at least as far as I'm concerned, is like to go and inspect it like in, in the browser and just see all the inheritance. Because yep. it's just the way there's no structure to CSS inheritance. Like who yeah. really knows? Who really knows? Like, yeah. So that's been fun. But nice change of pace. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Didn't you use Tailwind for some like side project recently? Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's what I've been doing in my spare time this week. When I'm not, uh, you know, trying to bail myself out from the water leakage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the, um, compliance <laughs> or the compliance stuff. Yeah. Compliance. It's like you're dealing with a, 
like insurance claims and compliance, <laughs> the compliance process simultaneously. I might as well just go this to is... law school at night and do the trifecta, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someone but, can sue you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the good news on the compliance is I had a meeting yesterday with the auditor, the first of the meetings where they reviewed our evidence of all the things that we say we're doing. And the meeting went super well. The most of the things that we covered, like we just done and basically just checking off boxes. There are a few things they got back to me about like, ah, oh, you should look at this and we need more evidence here. But mm -hmm. uh, overall, I was, overall, I was just ecstatic yesterday after getting off that call, like all the work that I've been doing over the past several months is actually seems to be close to paying off. So I'm, I'm yeah. excited. We really, we really do need to throw a party when, when all this is, is wrapped up. <laughs> I mean, this is a major, major effort that we've been talking about for pretty much the life of the company. I know I think. <laughs> like, we just need to, to throw Ben a party. It, like, cause it went from, yeah, it went from hand. like, we like, could never, like, we could never do that to, well, maybe we'll do that. And then Ben's just like working on it and yeah. You know, all throughout this process, as I've talked to people who know, actually know what they're doing <laughs> much more than I do, you know, I would ask, well, you know, do, do you see companies our size doing this? Have, do you have experienced that? And they're like, uh, yeah, that's not too common, but sure, you know. And so I, I always just kind of came away from those conversations like, well, I guess we could do it. And then sitting down with this auditor person yesterday, he said, well, you are the smallest company I've ever worked with. And uh, yeah, we're going to have to change some things about how we usually do this because <laughs> like we don't have a board of directors, you know, and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, huh. Like so. So pro tip for all those small companies like us out there, it, it, you do have to find an auditor who's able to be a little flexible in, in their work because uh, you might be the first time that they uh, encounter some things. Like, for example, CICD, like the person I was working with is like, yeah, I know what that is, but a lot of my peers don't. And one of the requirements uh, is that you have a separate, you know, development versus production environment and mm. that you have a log and a control over what goes into production. And so when you say, oh, well, you know, we have CICD, we have continuous integration, continuous deployment, and that, you know, it runs the tests and it pushes the code to production for us automatically. They kind of scratch their heads a little bit and they're like, oh, so you don't have like a process or a person that's the gatekeeper for production? It's like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. well, then uh, hmm, we're going to come mean, up we with had something. A, you know? <laughs> we had a person write the rules <laughs> right. for that. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a process. It's just not a person <laughs> yeah. doing it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so there's, there's things like that. That's like, oh, okay. It's a learning experience for everyone. I think I need to write some sort of mega blog post or maybe miniature ebook about, you know, if you're a tiny tech company, here's what you can expect when Seriously. you're about to walk into you this. Should, oh, you should. Okay. We should, you could sell that. We even. should write, we should do, yeah, we should do a pay, like a pay, like an ebook. That'd be totally just put it on Gumroad as a downloadable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. seriously, like you could even just do, just do a screencast, like with a brain dump for like, an hour and a half or something. Oh, that um, would be well, more than an hour and a half. <laughs> but yeah, that would be, that would be, that would be cool. They, uh, yeah, a seven part, <laughs> yeah. seven session. <laughs> a mini series, you know, on Lifetime TV, right? <laughs> yeah, I had fun the other day though when you were like, could y'all help me like think of threats to the business and things? It's like, you're asking me to think of like things that could go wrong. It's like, I was born for this. This is, this is my jam. I'm great at yeah. thinking about, like, <laughs> about things that could go wrong. I still need to do that. Spend a little time thinking about worst case scenarios. Yeah. That's all right. Come on over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was one of 
three things that I didn't have ready in time for the call yesterday. And so that's the last of the work I need to do next week to be able to get this hurdle and get our type one report in process. Yeah. What's the upshot of all this? Like what comes out of it? What will be, we'll be able to offer customers once we get this? Especially for publicly traded companies who, who might want to use us as a processor, uh, they have to attest that they are managing all of their data in a secure fashion. They, they have to go through the same process. And part of that process is you have to say, okay, for all of our key vendors that handle sensitive data, they also need to uh, assert that they abide by these kinds of policies. And if you're in that situation where you need to attest that, yes, your, your data is being treated uh, securely by your uh, vendors, there's two ways that you can get that done. You can ask the vendor for their SOC 2 report. And so an auditor has given an opinion that, yes, they are following good policies. Or you can ask that vendor to fill out a security questionnaire. I mean, or I guess you could visit their office and make sure, you know, you could do a personal inspection. But typically, it's either going to be, you're going to ask that vendor for a SOC 2 or ISO 27001 report, or you're going to ask that vendor to fill out this security questionnaire. And when you receive one of those, and we've received a few of those from our customers, it's just, it's painful. It's super painful because they ask you basically all the same things that you would go through in a compliance thing, like, you know, your security posture, your privacy stuff. So just going through the process once and having an auditor give you their opinion that yes, this company is being run well, then you can just turn that over to customers who need that as part of their process to become you know, compliant. And then it just saves everyone a whole bunch of time. I've got a question for you. It sounds like compliance is kind of like the GPL and that's kind of like viral. <laughs> like yes. if you want to be compliant, all the people, all your vendors that you use have to be compliant. Yeah. But for them to be compliant, all their vendors need to use, like their vendors need to be compliant. So yeah. like, would it be fair to say that by, by providing this to our customers, we're allowing our customers to, you know, service yes. bigger customers that may, may require compliance reports. Yep. All right. So, I mean, yeah, we're, and we, we are opening entire new markets for our, our customers. You never know. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll give you it's a, time to raise prices. I will give you a for instance. So as, as I was talking to the auditor yesterday, we were talking about our vendors, the vendors that Honey Badger uses. And, you know, we use Amazon Web Services. And so obviously they have a whole bunch of, you know, compliance stuff done, right? You, know, like you, you can go and download their SOC 2 reports and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we use other providers like Twilio for sending SMS. And one of the vendors that we use that we do rely on for our, delivering our services to our customers, um, we don't have a report from them yet. And so I do need to go to them and say, hey, I know you don't have a, a full SOC 2 report because I've asked you for that in the past and you didn't have it. So I, please answer my security questionnaire. <laughs> so now, now oh, I'm on you're the other the, end. You're the one with the questionnaire. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That was speaking of so you. powerful. Well, it just, <laughs> no, it just makes me feel kind it's of wielding. frustrated. It's like, oh, I don't want to spend my time doing this, you know, but I mean, we do depend do you on you. feel like a stooge? So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I feel, I feel pretty bad about it, actually, but <laughs> got to do it, you know, because my, my auditor is going to be talking to me like, okay, well, you know, how do you know that they're being secure with your stuff? Yeah, there you go. And one thing, one thing to come out of this, I'm really, I'm really liking is that whenever we have to do something that people don't like, and they're like, why are you doing this? We're like, uh, got to do it. The auditor says, <laughs> auditor says, we got to do it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's always helpful to have that third party somewhere nebulous behind the scenes that, oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I, I can't help you. My hands are tied. I wonder how far you could take that. It's like, yeah, no, I'm sorry we can't rename errors to notifications in our tabs. The <laughs> auditor won't let us. Well, I mean, parents do this all the time, right? You know, the kid comes to dad and says, hey, dad, I want to blah. And, and dad's like, hmm, I'm not sure I want to say yes to this but I mm-hmm. kind of need some backup. So he says, well, go ask your mother. <laughs> right? And so, and as the, as the kid is heading towards mom, you know, there's this kinetic or telekinetic communication happening, right? This dad is, is winking at the mom, or whatever, like, or, or shrugging or giving that, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, giving mm-hmm. that signal, like, uh, just say no. <laughs> and, and then the, the parents talk about it later. Right. And they decide what they're going to do and how they're going to handle the situation. But yeah, it's nice yeah. to have that, uh, someone to blame it on. <laughs> it's like a, it's like an auto dealership trick. Like, yeah, totally. I'm going to go back, you back ask, to my manager. Oh, I'll have to go check. I'll have to check with yeah. my manager. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> you could just give, give them, uh, if they ask for something, just give them a compliance questionnaire. Say, fill this out. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that for you, but first you have to fill out this uh, 60 question form. It's before I can read your um, support ticket. I'm sorry. You're required to fill this out. <laughs> Well, we got a, speaking of support tickets, we got a support request that came in this week asking for a feature. And the person was very nice about it and said, you know, this is what I'm, this is a problem that I'm having. And I, I can't find a place in your application where I can change this. Did I miss it? And I really appreciated that, that approach is very non-confrontational. You know, there, there are nice ways to say things and, and not so nice ways to say things. And, and uh, so this Unfortunately, we don't have the feature that this person wanted. And of course, they already knew that because they couldn't find it in the UI. And that's why they're asking. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I said, yeah, sorry, we don't, we don't have that. So they came back and said, well, you know, could you add that? <laughs> and even though I'm not a paying customer, I do send paying customers your way. So, you know, smiley face. And uh, I just, I grinned at that. And I thought, you know, we actually don't discriminate against our non-paying customers when they send in support requests like that. Mm-hmm. We consider every feature request equally. We are, we are very, you know, magnanimous about that sort of thing here at, at Honey Badger. We, uh, but yeah. I just thought it was, I thought it was a very kind, very polite way to, to ask nicely for something. And, and uh, I think we'll have to turn around and build that just because he was so nice. Oh, I love it. It's heartwarming. <laughs> One thing that Josh, Josh and Ben Finlay and I talked about on our marketing call um, yesterday is that you know, a lot of times the, the non-paying customers and the paying customers are the same people. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any evidence for this, but like I've done it before. Like I've had free accounts in a service and then I'm like, hey, we should use this in our mm-hmm. business. And, you know, then we have a paid account for it too. So yeah. anyway, we're talking about that in the context of um, how it might be useful to instead of, instead of tailoring like all of our messaging to sort of free trials and student accounts, instead of tailoring that messaging to like getting them to upgrade to a paid account, perhaps we should try tailoring that messaging to sell them on how they should bring Honey Badger into their other projects. You know, mm-hmm. it's like why you should bring Honey Badger to your day job if day you're job. working on a side project or, yeah. or whatever. Especially mm-hmm. in the context of, because uh, we've been having a significant number of GitHub student signups still because we're yeah. part of the GitHub student pack. And those people, like they might not have, they might not have jobs yet, but they're learning and we know they're going to have jobs soon. So, you know, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to make a good impression and 
yeah, and hopefully suggest that they can bring Honey Badger with them when they, yeah, as they embark on their new careers. And even if they do like start some hot new startup or whatever, like they're not going to use their GitHub student account for it, probably. Like, <laughs> yeah, but probably wouldn't wouldn't happen. Do you want to switch? switch gears a little bit and talk about work-life balance um, because there was this discussion recently yesterday that I was discussing with Justin Jackson and a few other others on uh, on Twitter. I don't mind switching gears. Like I learned to drive on a manual. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, um, I, I spoke a little bit for the three of us. So I thought it, it might be good to get your um, takes on like our early starting years because the discussion was about how much how much time it requires to start a new company or a new business. Um, I think we were kind of talking more about software as a service businesses in particular. But there was this uh, there's this tweet that went around that was talking about like basically like you can start a small, medium, or like large, like you can start an Uber sized business, and each each of those businesses are going to take all of your time. So the point was like so start the big one. Um, and the example was like you're they're all gonna you're all gonna have to work 100 hours a week on on all of these to start them and. Uh, Justin was like, hell no, you don't need to work oh, hundred hours a week we on anything. <laughs> okay. And so, so yeah, so he started this discussion about like, there's a lot of small businesses out there that are starting on much less time than a hundred or even 50 hours a week, say. So I was thinking back and, um, what I recall, um, I, I recall working cause we were, I was working a full time, like nine to five, like eight hours a day on my freelance business. So I'd work like usually a few hours in the morning and maybe a few hours in the evening or over the weekend or something on Honey Badger. But I think it probably totaled like an extra 10 to 20 hours initially, I would guess. I guess we might even have timesheets somewhere because I think we were logging our time eventually. But does that sound about right? So, so what I said was that total, including like a 40 hour a week, like day job, I was working probably 50 to 60 hour weeks for just for the initial period while we built up our revenue to the point where we could start shifting from our like our jobs and freelance income to honey badger at which point we didn't continue that extra work so we basically we worked less over time as we replaced our income i think that's true in the large since i was responsible for the op stuff i think my time commitment was a little higher in those early days, even after we transitioned to full-time, I think I was spending probably more than 40 hours a week on stuff. But on, um, honey, like combined or on? Well, so, so you know, early on, I agree, like 10, 10-ish hours a week when we still had full-time jobs. Then, you know, uh, we transitioned to, well, Star and I transitioned to doing freelancing for a while uh, between the full-time job and being full-time on Honey Badger. And and that was like a ramp, I guess. Over time, I just I just built up my Honey Badger time and and decreased my freelancing time as as mm -hmm. the revenue allowed it. But then once Honey Badger was full time, I think even still then for quite a while, I was I would say fifty to sixty hour weeks because I was yeah, okay. know, dealing with stuff after hours that I didn't choose to deal with. Right, I had to deal with. I wasn't really thinking about the point. Yeah, the point of after after the transition was over. But I still get the feeling, yeah, like, like, I think I, in general, yeah, I don't know. I also made the point that it's, it's a little bit hard to separate between these things because I often code for fun and back then, and even still like Honey Badger, it was a side project then it's not a side project now, but I still like, there's lots of projects that I enjoy working on. And so like, 
a lot of times I'll find myself, you know, hacking, but it's, yeah. you know, it's hard to say, is this work or is this just, is this just my hobby? So yeah. Ian Landsman made that point when his tweets, he's like, yeah, but you know, you're kind of forgetting about the, if you're reading about the thing and you're studying about how to do whatever, yeah. that's, that's work. Right. And, yeah. and to your point, talking like, about me, it on Twitter for yeah, like for, for hours me, that, into the evening, that stuff is fun. It's not just work. It's also a hobby. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I can easily spend a lot of time doing what someone would call work because I think it's fun. So, yeah, I don't know. And also like, I think it was good that we were able to use the product. Like we, I I said, we were the first customers of Honey Badger and we built it for ourselves. Um, and we were using it during our day jobs cause that's, that's where we needed it. So I mean, like even as we were working, you know, we were using it as a tool for our clients or employers or whatever, but it gave us the opportunity to, um, I mean, that helped us iterate faster. And I'm sure there were times when we were able to go and like improve a little thing or, or fix a little bug or something in the process of doing our normal, our normal work, which, which helped. Yeah. I think when I had my day job and Actually, even I guess when we're freelancing afterwards, I would like I would work evenings a lot more, but I probably, yeah, I probably didn't really go over 60 hours too often. I think I was actually, I mean, we didn't really discuss this, but it just kind of worked out this way, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I may have been like the first person to actually go sort of full time because I moved to Mexico. I didn't need a ton of money to live and, and all that. And I didn't have kids at the time and I wasn't married. And so I don't know. But it's only by a couple months. Like it wasn't like a, a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on the situation. Like, so on the discussion of like whether you can, can you start a business on less than a hundred hours a week? Obviously. Um, yes. Can you start it on less than 40? I, yes. yes. Like totally. It, but it all, it all depends on the situation. Like you can't start every business probably with four, just one person working under 40, like say 30 hours a week. You're not going to start Uber single-handedly working 30 hours a week. Um, or 100 hours a week. Or 100 hours a week. Yeah, probably, to be honest. But there's a lot of businesses I, you could. Yeah. Can I just say that this whole, this whole premise, like the whole tweet about like, you know, you're going to be working 100 hours a week and you can make, <laughs> do a start, small, yeah, medium, or large business. So you might as well do the large business. It's just, I'm sorry. That's just pretty dumb. BS take. <laughs> That's just, that's just idiotic because, well, first of all, there's so many differences. Like the lifestyle of having a small or medium sized business is quite different from the lifestyle of having an Uber sized business. Um, There's a difference between like, are you trying to start a business to support yourself and your family and your employees versus um, are you trying to to start a public company? Is your goal to... uh ship yourself to the moon eventually or something like that. Like we all have different. I think the source, I think the source of this is this, uh, I think the, where this like stupidity is coming from is the source of a lot of stupidity, especially online, which is everybody like assumes everybody else has the same like values and experiences and goals as they do. And that if they are not, achieving those or maybe they then it must be some sort of failure or it must be just dumb like it seems like half the internet now is like is sort of people taking things out of context and so i don't know maybe i'm taking um this tweet out of context because i don't haven't even seen it so one thing i'll i'll add here that it was not a tweet it was actually someone talking to me back in the olden days when we talked face to face what with <laughs> yeah 
he made an interesting point that's, that's stuck with me since then. And he said, you really only have so many years, right? So you only get so many businesses you get to build. And you should think about that when you're thinking about what kind of business you want to build next. Because we were talking about big versus small. And of course, it's to, down to personal preference. And that's the, exactly the point. Like, you, you only get so many times to go out there and, and try this, right? You might build, you know, three or four or five businesses in your lifetime. So choose what's going to make you happy, not just the final destination that you think will make you happy, but also the process, the journey, right? It's, you know, that old phrase about it's, it's the, the journey, not the destination, because you only get a few decisions like this in your lifetime. Might as well make the most out of each one of them, regardless of whatever your personal goals are, you know, just decide and be, be deliberate about that. Yeah, that's a really good, I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I mean, the whole like journey before destination thing, which like, yes, I'm referencing the King Killer Chronicles, which I know you love, Ben. I do, I do. Um, that makes sense for another reason too, because like you might not get to your destination if your destination is like another, like if your destination is a billion dollar startup, chances are good you're not going to get there. So it's, you know, if you're miserable the whole time and then you don't get there, that just sucks, right? <laughs> so totally. Why would you want to do that? Going back to the situation, like how everything depends on the situation, thinking back like in your 20s, like no kids, like when we started Honey Badger, like I was just like recently married. I think I'd been married for a couple years, but it was just us, you know, and I had a house and stuff, but we were even just, we were renting at that point, even working 50 hour weeks like that. Just think of all the time, all the free time, <laughs> the, just think of all the free time that we, we had working 50 hour weeks. Like, you know, it's, it's very relative. Like now it's like, you know, barely work like a 30 hour week and, and still, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, that's really that's so, a good point. I don't like, like I don't have I, a problem with like if you're if you're you if you have the time, you're young and you like to if you like to do the work, like I'm not going to rain on anyone's parade of like wanting to work a little over 40 hours. Like it's not there's no like set in stone like you have to, you can't work over 40 hours or you're like a terrible person or something like. Oh, that's true. And it just like, yeah, it depends on the person. I mean, what are you doing yeah. with the rest of your time? <laughs> Does anyone ever talk about that? <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm building out my Animal Crossing <laughs> Island. It's funny. It's like it's, it's in pandemic and, um, you know, being being home so much and everything. It's like getting less done, being able to work less hours. Although like my amount of work I do in a day, like not like work work, but like the amount of labor I do in a day has probably doubled. And so it's just uh, it's just I don't know, like everybody has their own situation. And the thing is, like everybody can. I'm not going to say it's possible in every situation because some people definitely are in really rough situations, but it's possible to start a business in a variety of situations in terms of work, in terms of, in terms of like the amount of time that you can put in. And it really kind of depends on, on a lot of factors other than that. Like that's probably mm -hmm. one of the, like, there's a lot of factors that are a lot more important than that, I think. Agreed. Yeah. Well, we're at time. I feel like this is a pretty positive message to leave people with, especially since like we live in the worst possible timeline. And I'm feeling good about this. Are y'all feeling good about this? You know, Founder Quest is yeah. all about bringing you the, the calm, peaceful, reassuring thoughts that you need in the times of crisis, pandemic, and, and world turmoil. That's true. And aren't we so privileged to be able to, to like have those calm, peaceful thoughts and not just be like <laughs> thrown in the middle of the, the fire? 
ourselves right For now real. as I think about that every day. All right. So if you have enjoyed this show, dear listener, please go to Apple Podcasts and review us. And if you'd like to write for us, we do hire people to do blog posts about Ruby, Elixir, you know, cool stuff. Um, go to our blog at www.honeybadger.io slash blog. And there's a, a link up there that says write for us. So go check that out. And yeah. Oh, one side benefit. I haven't said this before, but one side benefit. If you do want to write for us, like you get to like have a one-on-one like call with me because I got I to gotta check you out. I got to make sure you're for real. What more could you ask for? I know, yeah. right? <laughs> we should be we should be charging them. <laughs> I know. Why are we even paying people? ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.